Welcome to Discovering the Old Testament, a series of podcasts exploring one of the primary sources of the Judeo-Christian tradition. I'm your host, Dr. Sheldon Greaves. With this, the 49th episode of Discovering the Old Testament, we have nearly come to the end of this series. Over the course of the production of this series and related projects, I am sometimes asked about the problems of looking at sacred scripture through secular, scholarly filters. It's a fair question, and I will spend this episode in an effort to answer it. Many are the stories of people who have seen their world turned upside down when a lifetime of devotion and religious life encounters the tools and conclusions of modern biblical scholarship. Sometimes the result is a loss or a crisis of faith. Others dismiss the findings of modern scholars as a pointless exercise in worldly philosophy that does nothing for the inner life. Still others find that scholarship augments the religious experience with additional depth and richness, or turns it outward into the real world where it can actually do some good. One can also fairly ask what the role of scholarship can play in a believing community or in the life of an individual seeker. With Judaism and Christianity, these questions are particularly acute. We have discussed how Judaism reconstituted itself as a religion centered on the study of the law. An old rabbinic discussion states that the world is kept going by three things, study, worship, and good works. In typical rabbinic fashion, the question follows, and which of these is greatest? Study, because from study the other two are derived. But Christianity, too, has a deeply intellectual tradition. The early Christians insisted on examining their religion through the lens of Greek philosophy, which is something that Greek religion did not do. There was and remains an ideal in Christianity, a holdover from Judaism, that the world changes and improves over time. Both Judaism and Christianity are religions with a vision for a positive future. Moreover, God reveals himself to the inquiring mind over stretches of time, gradually, as the abilities of human reason increase and improve. The intellectual quest for God carries with it the Greek ideal that we can understand intellectually how the universe works. Contrast that with, for instance, the Taoist teaching that the Tao does whatever the hell it wants and you're an idiot if you think you can figure it out. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing, but that's the general idea found in a host of Eastern religions. So there is ample, even excessive, basis for a long, honored tradition of intellectually seeking to understand Scripture. The Jews sought to apply the law to the improvement of themselves and the cohesion of their communities. In this, they have succeeded brilliantly, as well as confronting the big questions with dauntless curiosity and faith. Christianity's early scholars of the 2nd and 3rd centuries adopted several approaches to Scripture based on allegory, among other things. Both Christians and Jews were wary of excessive literalism, even though it has cropped up from time to time. But the modern approach, pioneered by Wellhausen and others, treated the text from what we may call a scientific perspective. 
We use the term a lot, but it's not often that we really understand what that means. Students of the history of science will recall that the scientific method, as we have it today, was really first articulated by Roger Bacon and René Descartes. But exactly what that method is and how it relates, or not, to the study of scripture often gets left out. The Cartesian method in particular promotes the idea that you can understand something complex by breaking it down into its component parts, examining each of those parts in detail, reassembling them, and through this process understand the whole. This has been a cornerstone of Western scientific thought for centuries. It has revolutionized our world with new knowledge and understanding of the universe and continues to do so. It is an epistemological tool of enormous power. At the same time, it also has blind spots, some of them pretty serious. It does not do as well when, for example, you attempt to apply Descartes' method to complex systems. Complex systems do not gracefully break down into discrete chunks. Once you disassemble a system, it ceases to be one. It's like trying to take a funny joke and breaking it down into funny words. The words are inert. It ceases to be funny, though it may still be a joke of another sort. If you'll recall the essence of the documentary hypothesis in which the biblical text is broken into sources like J, P, D, and so on, you will realize that this analysis is a perfect textbook example of scientific analysis applied to the text. And, yes, we have learned much from the scholarship that went into and continues to emerge from that analysis. The problems start, however, when we realize that the Hebrew scriptures are a complex system. I like to call the scriptures a scale model of the human condition, and such they are, but not a numeric model that tries to predict outcomes. Rather, it is a working simulacrum that can only really be appreciated after one takes the textual sources and puts Humpty Dumpty back together again. Does this mean that the documentary hypothesis is a bust, that it only obscures the biblical text and its significance? Most certainly not. It is through the identification of different and even dissenting voices in the text that we can see the Hebrew scriptures for what they are, and that is a complex array of data by which one can engage oneself in the big questions. Without the work of modern scholarship, the Bible remains homogeneous, monolithic, prone to simplistic and fundamentalist interpretation, and, frankly, boring as hell. It is akin to the difference between watching a live frog going about its life in a pond versus seeing one laid open on a dissecting table reeking of preservative. More than this, modern scholarship has fleshed out the details and accoutrements that furnished the world of the Bible. Archaeologists have given us cities, artifacts, and, best of all, texts, inscriptions, ostraca, even additional books of material that add dimension and depth. Thanks to the work of modern scholars, we can look more closely into the real lives of the people that lived through Bible times and whose experiences inform the text. We can also see where the Bible shows signs of a struggle, even contradiction. Despite what literalists may claim, these tensions are important, even necessary. 
all of us live in tension with the forces around us. How could the Bible, or any text for that matter, speak to anyone if there were no tension within it? It couldn't. Modern scholarship has placed the Bible exactly where it belongs, in the real world. However, modern biblical scholarship is, as they say in mathematics, necessary but not sufficient. It allows us to see the moving parts that make up the Bible and to identify the forces that drive some of them. We start to perceive some of the ways in which those parts interact with each other, but really grasping what it's all about demands something more. If the Cartesian model is inadequate for understanding complex systems, how do we make sense of them? It's really kind of a funny question because as a species, we have evolved up to our necks in complex systems and managed to do pretty well before Descartes and Bacon. The Western scientific doctrine also holds that one must stand apart from a system under observation as a detached observer, uninvolved, unemotional, clinical, and refusing to engage with the object of study. Otherwise, your data carries the taint of subjectivity, the proverbial kiss of death for the standard epistemology. Now, it so happens that dogma is actually crumbling on a number of fronts apart from the paradoxes of quantum physics, which is a good thing, because for larger systems it tends to produce inadequate or misleading results. A new approach to understanding complex systems is emerging, or perhaps we should say re-emerging. The short description of this approach is that to understand something complex, you must engage with it. Understanding comes through involvement and experience, not standing apart at a safe distance. That is how we have always apprehended the world. We get into it, get dirty, bruised, sick, high, embarrassed, and enlightened, and so forth. Then we step back, dust ourselves off, acknowledge what we did or didn't understand, and plunge back in again. You must become directly involved with a system at some level and flow with it before you can really gain knowledge of it. That knowing does not manifest as numbers or charts, but as experience, verbalized as narrative, story, parable, or myth, shared among those with a nominal amount of comparable experience. This method of epistemology is the one we find in the Bible. To experience God, you don't just sit home and read. You climb up the mountain and ring the proverbial doorbell, or he shows up when you least expect it. After each experience comes reflection, confession, repentance, and it all goes round again, each time with new lessons, new experiences couched in the narrative, but not a linear history as we understand it. Rather, the Bible is a series of theological exercises and propositions that invite our involvement and struggle. Like Jacob with the angel, there must be some struggle and even some dislocation before we realize any blessing. This is as it should be. The confession of which I speak is not what you think it is, a prelude to punishment or a mark of weakness. 
Instead, it is an honest evaluation, perhaps even a celebration of experience and knowledge gained, the bright awakening to insight that only comes from an honest, gritty involvement with the text in all its complexities. But what does that kind of deep engagement look like? Do we start offering animal sacrifices or stop wearing clothing of mixed fiber? Certainly not. This is where modern scholarship cautions us against taking the literal at face value from a modern perspective without appreciating the background. In other words, reminding us what we do and do not know. I will offer my opinion on this, to be taken for what it's worth. Engagement means not only that you dive deeply into the study of the text to the extent that you can, but that you actively look for those places where its world touches ours. Those are the universals, the transcendent ideas that really matter. Can you feel Isaiah's white-hot rage when he castigates the privileged for their treatment of the poor? Or the pathos in God's voice when he looks at humanity he has created and decides it's time to start over? Can you look past the oversimplification of a vengeful God to see the forces and nuances that render Yahweh into a complex and difficult character who sometimes makes complex and difficult demands? Does the pattern of compromise after compromise, failure upon failure, with occasional flashes of goodness, seem familiar? Does it challenge your ideals of how the world ought to be? It should. Now, not to take too much away from what I've just said, that contained a few glittering generalities, and frankly it was a tad platitudinous. So let's get practical. Study regularly. When you read, read slow. I mean it. Slowing down can do as much or more than any other single thing apart from learning the original biblical languages. Reading slow gives you a chance to ask questions, so make a habit of it. Even questions on the level of, what the hell is he talking about, can take you a long ways if you take time to find the answers. Don't be afraid to ask tough or even irreverent questions. As we learn from the book of Job, it's okay. I can assure you the text has had to deal with much worse than anything you're likely to throw at it. If you don't find clear answers, or have to change your mind, that's cool. Three of the most important words in the intellectual's lexicon are, I don't know. Stay away from rank apologetics. It's generally a pointless exercise. Truly good apologists are almost impossible to find these days anyway. Use more than one translation, and get the best you can find. Ask around. Be choosy. Invest in some good tools to help you, such as a Bible dictionary or a couple of general introductions. You can find lots of stuff online, but too much of it is public domain stuff that is way, way out of date. It's still useful, but be wary. There are a number of excellent recently published introductions out there, along with some good standbys. Serious students will also start acquiring commentaries for books that are especially interesting to them. Keep an eye on the news for reports about developments in biblical archaeology. Truly engaging in the text also demands that you try to see the world you live in as the Bible might. Look for those instances of folly, injustice, mercy, and grace, light, and darkness that the Bible depicts 
and where they appear in our own world. Test the biblical answers, question them, apply them, if only in your own mind, and see where they take you. You might find yourself surprised at where you end up. Much great literature wrestles with biblical themes, and it's worth examining for insight. Two last things. First, keep a notebook. Track your studies on paper. Make it a habit. Keep a file of articles you find, books you've read, lectures or programs you attend. Don't let what you learn slip away. Second, don't do this alone. Find others to meet with on occasion, to share ideas and consider questions together. Don't look for a group where you just affirm each other's biases, but find some people who are curious, impatient with pat answers, but who respect the subject and the text enough to put real effort into digging out the juicy insights and not simply dismiss it all in a huff of ignorant hubris. Do not confuse simple truths with simple answers. Beware the simple answers, especially if they address complex questions. They are probably wrong, or at least dangerously incomplete. Conversely, do not immediately dismiss simple truths and ideas. One of the best strategies you can adopt from both an intellectual and devotional perspective is to seek to understand simple truths deeply. One of the perils of Bible study without the aid of good scholarship is that, as we mentioned long ago, biblical texts have accrued many traditional understandings and meanings that spoke to a particular time and place, but did not originate with the text itself. This is one of the hardest aspects of the scholarly exercise, especially for those with a lifelong familiarity with the Bible. Learning how to put aside those assumptions and understandings and truly read the text as if for the first time. If you can learn to wonder at its strangeness, to revel in its directness, and marvel at its humanity, you are well on your way to a lifetime of sumptuous insights. Discovering the Old Testament is supported by the donations of our listeners. To make a donation, visit our website at lafkospress.com. That's L-A-F-K-O-S press.com. Discovering the Old Testament is a production of Lafkos Press of San Jose, California. Join us again next time as we continue our journey through the mysterious and exotic world of the Old Testament.